Welcome to Basecamp, where men meet together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. Right, good, good morning, guys. I appreciate Scotty, Scott um, praying me in. Table seven, seven that prayed this morning. And I just want to let you all know, and the guys that are joining us virtually, that I also prayed for you this morning because this isn't about me, it's not about the speaker, it's about God, it's about your relationship with God. And so as we leave here today, you know, my prayer is that you don't end up in a situation that I did about six years ago. Um, I just transitioned out of the Air Force. We like to use that word transition. I just um, left the Air Force and picked up a job with the Federal Aviation Administration. At that time, I was going to seminary. I was getting a um, degree in the biblical studies. And I was, I was thinking about options for what I wanted to do in the future. But I landed this job in the Federal Aviation Administration as a regulator. And then I went on to um, be hired into a different position in the obstruction evaluation group. Well, to do this job, I needed more education. So they sent me to a three-week course in Oklahoma City called Obstruction Evaluation Airport Airspace Analysis. If you ever get a chance to go to that particular course, don't do it. It was three weeks. Well, if you're a math person and you love math, do it. But it was three weeks that was all about math, all about how do we figure out whether these things going up into the air are going to be a hazard to air traffic. Uh, but in this class, we had 12 students kind of set up four, four, and four with these computer workstations and stuff because everything's on computer these days. Um, and we're doing introductions. Now, the lady next to me was Muslim. And she didn't say that. She didn't talk about that, but she was Muslim. And some people knew each other in this class. We were doing introductions, and they came to me. And I mentioned that, hey, I left the Air Force. I'm relatively new to the agency, new to this job. I'm a seminary student. I'm studying this. I am a Christian, a Christ follower. Um, that's part of who I am. I've got family, and then blah, blah, blah. I don't remember what else. Um, but I hate public speaking. I really do. Standing up here just terrifies me. And so I wanted to get off the spotlight, so I said, any questions? Hoping they'd just move on. Well, the smart, this, this, um, this, guy, <laughs> this guy in front of me, he's actually a brother in front of me, turns around and says, so Mike, explain to us the doctrine of the Trinity. <laughs> Knowing I'm sitting next to this Muslim lady. And, you know, I, I laughed. I don't remember what I did. And I passed the mic and we moved on. But, and we did have a good three weeks, her and I, during breaks and whatnot, talking about our faith after that because that really opened the door for some conversation. But in the moment, I thought, Gee, I really don't know why I believe what I believe, particularly in this particular doctrine. Now, I can go back to certain, vo certain verses, but I've never really thought about God's oneness and, 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 and the doctrine of the Trinity and how that works together and what it means for doctrine. So today, I, I, I hope we can get through some of that and that you will think through this and be in a position to explain your faith when you're challenged better than I did. So as a recap, and I apologize, I didn't realize I had builds on this 
slides, so it's going to be awkward for a couple slides, then we'll get through it. As a recap, when Derek began this series, he pointed out um, that on one hand there's doctrine, but on the other hand, within that doctrine, there are essentials to faith. These things that are non-negotiable when we discuss particularly salvation, but why we are following Christ. They're foundational aspects by their very nature. Christians, Christ followers, we need to be unified in understanding these essentials to faith. In anything else, in anything that is not absolutely essential to salvation, we can agree to disagree so long as there's disagreements and we give each other liberty to disagree so long as that is biblically based. In the Burke Community Church Statement of Faith, which was last updated January 2019, there's 12 different articles or statements about what the church considers essential to the understanding, teaching, and practicing of God's Word. Each of these, state, each of these essentials of faith that, that we're talking about during this ser- series, I went back and looked just to make sure, but they are all within those 12 statements. So we're going to start out with today, this is where I have to apologize, there is one God. I was trying to be cute and just change the coloring on the slide there to highlight it and forgot about the builds. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 states, listen Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with your whole mind, your whole being, and all your strength. The Lord alone is God. This revelation was given to the Israelites to give them a sense of assurance. It's something that their neighbors, their polytheistic, believing in many gods' neighbors, did not have. That is a security in knowing that the one God we worship is the one God. According to American theologian Jack Deary, the gods of ancient Near East were rarely thought of as acting in harmony. Each was unpredictable and morally fickle. A worshiper had no assurance that loyalty to one God would not bring the wrath of one or more gods. So this statement, the Lord God is one, indicates that God stands alone and assured the Israelites that they are worshiping the one and only God who provides them with a righteous standard. Jesus confirmed this, um, that the Lord is one as recorded in Matthew. The whole of Scripture confirms God's unity. You know, through the Old Testament and New Testament, starts off in Genesis, you know, the first book, the first verse, the first uh, chapter. In the beginning, God, not God's, but God created the heavens and the earth. Exodus 23 says, you shall have no other gods, plural, before me, singular. And God spoke through Isaiah. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. God also said, I am the Lord and there is no other. And I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. And Jesus, again, affirmed the most important command. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Yet there are places in Scripture where God is referenced in plural. In those cases, generally, they are pointing to God's majesty, grandeur, greatness. Dr. Norman Geisler um, wrote a grammatical equivalence to this is when Queen Victoria used the plural of majesty when stating, we are not amused, speaking of herself alone. The Old Testament use of Elohim is grammatically plural. You've probably heard that before. But it's in that same sense of majesty and grandeur and excellence. In some cases where Elohim is used, the scripture even restates God's unity, such as, I'm bad with slides, such as the Lord our God, Elohim, the Lord is one. And there's also Genesis 126 where we find plural pronouns, and this caused me some um, angst in my understanding for quite a while. Because God does say, let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness. Now this goes back to the fact that Elohim is plural, and in this case it requires the use of a plural pronoun. It simply makes the, the pronouns in the sentence uh, grammatically correct and corresponding, but it doesn't negate God's singularity or God's oneness. The Lord is totally unique, as he states. He alone is God. He was a singular being before he created. So why is that important? Is it important? Of course it's important. But why? Well, monotheism distinguishes gods from those false views of polytheism. Not only does the Bible establish this, but God constantly condemns all forms of polytheism and idol worship. He had to deal with Israel on several occasions for idol worship and worshiping the gods that their neighbors worshiped. So this is important to God. Monotheism clarifies God's nature and refutes any assertions, assertions, I'm sorry, that, that there are separate beings, separate gods within the Godhead. Even as we discuss God's triune nature in a minute, the Bible puts forth that there is only one being who is God, not distinct beings. Dr. Geisler explains it this way, this one being is eternally manifest in three co-equal and co-eternal persons who are equal in substance, that is the divine nature, but distinct, distinct in subs, subsistence, that is their persons, the personhood. The unity of God also stands against all forms of idolatry. If there is one God, one creator, there's only one being worthy of our worship. To worship more than God is idolatry. And God's unity informs all other doctrines in the Bible. As we go through, and I challenge you to read the BCC Statement of Faith, as we go through other doctrines, this foundational doctrine informs them. For example, when we speak of Christ as a son of God, that is one God, the unity of God. And the Bible is the word of God, is just not the word of many gods or any God, but the one God. Virtually every other doctrine has something to do with God by nature and the unity of God clarifies and defines 
God's uniqueness. But God is not only one, but He is three in one. The Trinity of God is essential to our beliefs as well. And it's essential to our salvation because each of the persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, play a, cru a crucial, a critical role in reconciling us to God through his actions completely apart from anything that we could or have done. The concept of the Trinity is clearly found in the gospel message in the New Testament. Matthew records that after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of God descends on him and a voice from heaven said, this is my dear son, in him I take great delight. And it also records Jesus telling his disciples that as they go forward, as they go, go about their business, they should be making disciples of all nations. And I find this interesting. He instructs them to baptize these new disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to teach them everything that they had been taught. Now, you won't find the term Trinity or Triunity in, in the Scriptures. It was coined around 160 A.D. by an early Christian apologist named Tritulinian. You all know I hate, hate names. Tertullian. He was an early Christian apologist who, defined, who defended the faith against heresy of the day, particularly Nazism. The idea of the Trinity was included in practically every early church creed. And we have all have our favorite creeds, or the ones that we have leaned on and read in the past and prayed through. But generally they express there is one God in Trinity, and Trinity is in unity. The Godhead of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all one. The Godhead is all one. The glory is equal. The majesty co-eternal, and yet... There are not three gods, but one God. So there are not three gods, as taught by some. But we have to realize that there are three distinct persons in the Godhead. That's foundational to the gospel. That's foundational to our salvation. Not three aspects of God. No, not God in three aspects, but three persons. Personhood is defined as one who has intellect, emotions, and a will. And all three of these characteristics are found in each of the members of the Trinity. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. I think in your handout there's some references you can go back to um, to validate um, those statements. But each one possesses a mind, emotions, a will, and yet they all operate together at the same time. Isaiah 63, 7-10 says, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised according to the Lord, the Father, has done for us. And so he became their Savior in all their distress. He too was distressed, and the angel of his presence, the Son, saved them. And in his love and mercy he redeemed them, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. You can see the intellect, the will, the emotion of the three persons in God. And in Matthew, we read that all three persons were present at Jesus' baptism. He was baptized. He, the, Jesus was baptized. He saw the Spirit of God descending and a voice from heaven, the Father, saying, This is my dear Son, in him I take great delight. 
So doesn't that fly in the face of one God? No, each person of the Godhead, just like each end of a stick I've heard it described, is part of God. Just like each end of the stick is part of the stick, they are distinct from each other. Another analogy people like to use is a triangle. Three corners of a triangle, three sides of a triangle. It's, it's a triangle with three distinct parts. Or, if it helps to think of it this way, and if one of those analogies doesn't do it for you, forget it and, and find something that does um, to make this understanding concrete. Another way to think of it is God is one and only one in relation to his essence. And God is more than one, that is, God is three in relation to his persons. And person is meant, person describes who it is, in essence, what it is. So why is the Trinity important? Well, first, as C.S. Lewis once noticed, God himself has told us how to correctly think about him. That's contained in the scriptures. And his word indicates that he is triune in nature. The primary doctrinal planks of the Trinity, there is one God, the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all are God. Each is distinct persons, permeates Scripture, particularly the New, the New Testament and the Gospels. Second, a proper understanding of the Trinity protects against numerous false beliefs, such as tritheism, modalism, subordinationism, that is, the belief that the Son was inferior to the Father. Binaryism, that's the belief that there are two persons in the Godhead, or, or two distinct um, persons, not, not three. And any other beliefs. And third, and so much as the oneness of God is the absolute, and the absolute deity of Christ are essential doctrines to our salvation, the Trinity must be considered as well because that's how God works and that's who God is. Finally, because the doctrine of the Trinity is necessary for our salvation. With the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit playing distinct roles in outworking that salvation, we have to conclude that this is an essential doctrine. So I'm going to leave you with that and leave you with some questions to consider. They're they're on the sheets. Um, Pick one. How well do you relate, relate to each of the persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? What are their challenges? How do you explain the doctrine of God's unity and a triune nature? How would you answer that question if you were sitting next to someone that was interested in, why do you believe what you believe? Does one of those analogies help? Or how can being more aware of the nature of God and the relationship between the persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit change the way we go through life? So Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of knowing you. I thank you for getting to know you a little bit better and and understanding a little bit, just a little glimpse into who you are. Lord, I ask your blessing on the discussions today and I ask a blessing on each of the guys as we go forth today. In Christ's name, amen.